Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. So, Simone, this week you were the one that was out in the field. Uh-huh, you jealous? In the Are you jealous? <laughs> a little bit. You, you, you get to go out later this week. We'll talk about then, that yeah. a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it was that um, we had an opportunity to take... Um, some of the Restore Council staff on a field trip. And so we did a flyover, which timed so nicely with um, certainly the Rising River. And then we went out to Davis Pond, which so not nicely combined um, with pollen season. Oh, no. <laughs> lots, of, lots of plants growing out there. The um, water was really high. They've actually been flowing Davis Pond uh, a little higher than usual to capture the river. And so I'd actually not been out there when it was so high. But... Um, then the Restore Council folks, um, staff, had a chance to go see the uh, physical model yesterday. And the Center so, for River Yeah, studies. so we pulled yeah. out all the stops. So um, it was a really great, we have a, a great formula to do that, and the timing worked out just so nicely. Um, I had actually never flown the Delta route before to go all the way down the Mississippi, and I was just blown away. I, I really was. And you could you could really see that chocolate milk seeping into. And so I'm excited about the High River and, and what opportunities that we can use for education. Yeah, I mean, and you know, there was an article in Times Picking mm-hmm. this week by Sarah Sneath, and we've been looking at the uh, MODIS satellite imagery, mm-hmm. and you just see the sediment plume getting bigger and bigger and bigger off the bird's foot delta. So, Boom. I know. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a great time to have sediment diversions? Wouldn't it? But maybe one day. Well, this is a good teaching opportunity. Right. So okay. we're, we're, you know, you can go to Restore the Mississippi River Delta's Facebook page, MississippiRiverDelta.org. We have a lot of information um, about Bonnie Carey, but also about, you know, how to use the sediment in the river. And of course, our guests are going to mm-hmm. be reporting and have If I had to write a play, I don't it. think I could have written it any yeah. better, right? This beautiful co-authored, you know, joint project. And yeah. then, oops, there's a high river. Right. Huh? <laughs> well, we're so excited. Um, we teased it a little bit last week on the show, but... Um, if you likely have read, and if not, you must go and do this as a first thing. Um, go after outside hearing today. This, take um, the newspaper. Take the newspaper outside. Read it on your phone. Um, New York Times, Times Speaking Union collaboration. Depending on where you read it, um, the Drowning <laughs> Coast or our Drowning Coast. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm so excited to have first up um, John Schwartz with the New York Times, who's a science reporter. Um, he's been 15 years at the New York Times, and he you know, was one of the lead reporters working on this collaboration with the Times-Picayune folks. Um, welcome to Delta Dispatches, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Jacques. You should be jealous you're not here today, John. I know you do come down a lot. It's, it's like 60 degrees, beautiful re- weather. We have that river. Maybe you should come down. Just break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you would really love it. Oh, I would. You're talking about Davis Pond. It's like, oh, God, take me back to Davis Pond. <laughs> yeah, they said, oh, gosh, it was actually noisy at one point. They had so many birds out there and animals. But like I said, lots of pollen. So. Oh, well. well, so, John, it's been, what, oh, n- not quite two weeks yet since the um, the Drowning Coast, our Drowning Coast special feature um, ran online and then in, in print. How are you feeling well, it's, you know, first of all, when you work on a project like this that takes um, longer than the gestation period for a human baby. <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. <laughs> yeah. You birthed a baby. I'm qualified to talk <laughs> you and Mark about that. Baby. <laughs> it's like, I had a nice birth and a baby. And, but, um, but it's wonderful to be done. It's wonderful to see it. And, and, you know, first of all, seeing what happens when this 
big machine of the New York Times starts pumping out the great um, graphics and you know the the tremendous writing of somebody like Kevin Sack and uh, and um, and the editing of people like Paul Fishletter, the investigations editor, and then the fantastic teamwork with the Times Picayune and being able to work with a legend of environmental reporting, Mark Schlefstein. You know, to see all that come together, uh, it's tremendous. And then it's over, and you think, well, what's my next story? <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're absolutely correct, and I want to dig into some of the, the stories and the, uh, the investigations and reporting themselves, but visually, it's just so stunning, both online and in print, I to see totally it, agree. the pho- photography, the, you know, the maps, and just incredible. Um, have well, thank you. And, and, and look at the difference between the Times version and the Times-Picayune version, the sort, of, the sort of photographic and visual uh, interpretation of the two newspapers. Each is so great. And you can really feel the different personalities of the papers coming through. I just, I just found it fascinating and wonderful. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I, I enjoyed kind of experiencing it on both platforms and, and both papers. So um, have you received a lot of feedback or, you know, a lot of responses since um, the pieces ran? You mean besides the people that tell me that climate change is wrong and I'm a propagandist and a hoaxer? <laughs> You yeah, mean let's, those let's New York those, people that tell let's you that, put those right? people aside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, aside from them, the response has been fantastic because there's a real hunger for environmental and climate change stories that go beyond the latest report, and uh, in which try to get, you know, literally in this case, a little altitude on the problem, and uh, and tell it in terms of human stories, uh, and so that's where you get the this. Uh, this look in the first piece in the in the series uh, about Jean Lafitte and Tim Kerner, the mayor, but uh, but also you know this idea of, of our look at uh, the, the look that Mark and I took at uh, at the defenses around New Orleans. You know, in a newspaper like the New York Times, you don't get a lot of opportunities to really drill down on one city and say what's going on, and so it was a real point of pride to be able to do that. Uh, with uh, with the expertise of the Times Picayune informing the story, right? And I mean, you know, you you kind of alluded to some of the the stories that are included, but with the issue of Louisiana's coastal land loss and all the implications that go along with that, I mean, there are just so many stories. And Mark and his team are obviously doing an amazing job on the ground covering that day in and day out. But how do you begin to even pick where to focus on such a huge story as Louisiana's disappearing coast? Well, this, of course, is the great challenge in, in any time you want to take a good, hard look at something. One of the things I loved was we said, you know, let's, let's, look, at the, let's look at the varmints. You know, let's look, mm-hmm. at, let's look at the scale, uh, the mealybug and, and the nutria and the, and the, and the wild hogs. And, uh, and Tristan Bowerick, who's one of the SEJ fellows on a, a Walton Family Foundation grant at the Times-Picayune, did a beautiful job with that story. And, you know, Tristan and Sarah Sneath, who are both the SEJ fellows at the, at the Times-Picayune, did tremendous amount of reporting and tremendous work to make this thing happen. The, the, um, but figuring out how to focus, I much admired the work of Kevin Sack in deciding, okay, how do we look at subsidence? Well, let's find a place. Once we found the place, uh, let's find people who can help us tell that story. 
And in finding the place, he looked at places that were outside of the, you know, the best barrier hurricane protection system in the country. But, you know, look at people who are outside of that. And so, you know, we could have gone to places farther out, but he was drawn to the idea that, um, that Jean Lafitte is just a stone's throw from the wall. And so, you know, seeing all of this, this is, this is somebody who's got just an amazing story brain. And, uh, and he also liked the fact that we could, you know, do our reporting and be back in New Orleans for dinner. I mean, come on. He's <laughs> <laughs> a smart boy, this, this uh, Kevin Sack. Uh, so, so that idea that you, that you find people and places that can put these issues in perspective is, uh, is the hallmark of, of this kind of storytelling. And there's nobody better at it than Kevin. Well, you know, we want to get more into the stories, um, talk a little bit about what this means from a journalism standpoint, um, but we have to head into a break. Do you mind hanging on for another segment, John? Oh, sure. Okay, we'll be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Don Cheadle, listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. And we are incredibly fortunate this week to have John Schwartz, a science reporter with the New York Times, who 
along with folks from the Times Picayune, Kevin Sack, Mark Schlefstein, Tristan Bark, and others, um, did the Drowning Coast, our Drowning Coast, um, about Louisiana's land loss crisis. So, John, we like to keep it fun in addition to <laughs> Watch you know, out, doing a little John. work. So, <laughs> we have a fun question for you. Hopefully, it's not too difficult. What was the best thing you ate while reporting on this story in Louisiana? One thing, go. One thing, go. Okay, if you're going to make me do it, it was chicken a la grande at Moscas. Nice. Ooh, I love <laughs> Good Chuck answer. And I, Chuck, we went to Moscas not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. You brought My only cash, regret right? is that I didn't also get the oysters Moscas so I could, you know, have both. Okay. Well, look, you uh, got to come back, right? Come back. That's the deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll take exactly you out to right. Davis Pond and then you yes. can go to Moscas after. It's so close. Yeah. So close. Uh, so, wow. <laughs> we, we're just wow. tempting you. And for other national reporters listening, yeah, you right? can also come to Moscas <laughs> and learn about restoration. There's a fun Moscas backstory, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was I, I pulled out my phone while I'm sitting there waiting for the food, and I reread Calvin Trillin's story in The New Yorker. Oh, is there a place. story about? Oh, I didn't know that. History. Oh, oh, you got to read this story. Oh, nice. A nice some homework for me and Jacques. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like that you hey, stumped. I spread sweetness, light, and assignments. I like it. I like it. Uh, John, you're quite the Twitter guy. Yeah, I like <laughs> Maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were uh, just talking about during the break how many followers you have, and I was like, he's really funny too. <laughs> well, that's what I try for. It's it's you know it's nice to it's nice to be able to use the uh, the feed to talk about environmental and climate stories, and I try to promote the good work by people uh, and work of the times. But uh, but then you know you can't go wrong with fart jokes. <laughs> I love that you're just a real guy too, right? Incredible reporter. Well, let's talk about some of those stories. Still, you know, there's there's we could just talk for days and days. Um, those the stories were written how I love to read and and to be able to describe the place that we live in and but also its challenges in a way. I think you know, it really shows how much, you know, time you spent here, how much Mark knows the issue. You can always see that reflected in the reporting. I want to talk about the New Orleans story a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm from outside of New Orleans, and sometimes we have this love-hate relationship with the city um, just because it gets so much attention, but there's a reason why, you know. So let's talk about the New Orleans story a little bit. Um, you know, did you, you know, how, what made you just talk about New Orleans? And was it the tricentennial? Was it just this all these things combined. Tell us about that. Well, the New Orleans story was the very first thing we talked about doing when, uh, when Dean Baquet and Jim Amos and you know, other people from both news organizations started talking about doing a series. We did say, look, it's the, the tricentennial is coming, and the, the city's future is you know, up against things like climate change and storms, and, and so we should... Do a project. We should take a look. And, you know, Dean is from New Orleans. He worked at the Times-Picayune, uh, one of his early jobs. He's, his, his brother Terry is there, still working. So, um, so you've got a lot of reasons that we would be interested in New Orleans in the first place. As far as I'm concerned, my first trip to New Orleans since college was, um, was on a helicopter a few days after Katrina to look at uh, power station six, I mean, pump station six, and how they were trying to get it back online. So, um, so I've been fascinated with why the walls fell mm-hmm. and, and what went wrong uh, in, the, in the construction and design by the Corps of Engineers and how they were rebuilding it and whether that was going to be well done and then 
even if it's done at the best possible level, is it sufficient? All those questions have been dogging me since 2005. Um, and, and I've made many trips to the city and many trips to the region. It haunts you, right? It haunts you. Yeah, well, it, it follows it you home. You. <laughs> it does. And, you know, um, and so, you know, when, I mean, we've, we've all got, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans on our <laughs> iPhones, right? We all, and, and we all feel the pang when it comes on. Um, these are, these are not just stories. This is, this is a big chunk of our lives. Uh, I grew up on the Gulf Coast. I grew up with hurricanes, and um, and I always I always liked New Orleans, but it was reporting on it and digging in and trying to figure out what went wrong and what might be going right that made me fall in love with it. So, you know, I mean, obviously it's been some time since Katrina and the piece, you know, focuses on some of the improvements, particularly on the on the levees and the Hydra system that have occurred since then. Um, it's surprising, even still, even after Katrina, I mean, of course, we have some newcomers to the city, but people see coastal issues as something that's distant and separate from New Orleans. Um, what do you think is at stake or why should people care about coastal restoration efforts that are happening in Plaquemines Parish and you know, St. Bernard and Terrebonne. I mean, what really kind of present what's at stake for people in New Orleans? Well, people in New Orleans need to understand that the green buffer is what protects their gray infrastructure. And that the green infrastructure, if it's not there, that gray infrastructure cannot stand up to what's coming. It just, it takes both. And so everybody in New Orleans has a stake in what's going on in Barataria Bay. Everybody in New Orleans should care about the Caminata Headland. You know, these are places that are being restored that are being restored in, in part to protect them. So uh, it's not just about whether you're going to go to the Tarpon Rodeo or not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Although that's fun. <laughs> of, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but you gotta you got to know that this is also there for you. And, you know, and let's look beyond New Orleans. The rest of the country has a stake in this as well, not just the oil and gas coming through here, not just the grain coming in and out and the, and the bulk goods in this amazing port, not just the, the seafood, but this city and what it means for the endangered cities up and down the east and west coast of the United States. Because subsidence makes New Orleans as we keep saying, a canary in the coal mine for climate change. It shows where things are headed. There are lessons here that the whole country needs to learn. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, we've always said, you know, so goes Terrebonne, so goes Lafouche, and then so goes New Orleans, right? You know, we are part of that system that protects it from certain storms coming certain ways and certainly part of coming back after those storms, you know. So many people from New Orleans, you know, lived in those areas, commuted back and, and worked to bring the city back and, and the opposite could happen too for, for those folks outside the city too. So I, I certainly understand the complexity revolving around New Orleans and, and, and how much attention it has attracted. Um, I think we want to talk a little bit about the model that y'all created here when it came to, to how you, cre- you know, duly created this, um, this story. Well, I stand ready to participate in any major partnership 
with any news organization in any city that has good food. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're going to step up to the plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I uh, for for uh, there was a piece that ran on Sunday on page uh, A2 of the paper um, describing how the partnership came about and how. Uh, Dean Becke and the folks from the Times Picayune and Advanced Communications decided to do this thing. And at the end of the piece, I, I talked to Dean and said, "So is this a one-off or what? You know, is this is this a model for future collaborations?" And he said, without any hesitation, "Absolutely, it is. That local journalism is in trouble, and we have the resources to work with those places to combine their expertise with." with you know with our reporting and come up with partnerships now i have to say it's hard to imagine a partnership working better than this one <laughs> and and part of it is family ties and part of it is you know is that um you know all the things that made this work just 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 how darn nice people are at the times picking you and i mean everything so it's not like every collaboration is going to work but uh but dean was uh pretty adamant that uh, that this worked and he thinks it can work again and he's open to other partnerships. Well, Sarah tweeted around the time the stories came out, she, you know, she showed a whiteboard and it said, next time you're afraid to share ideas, remember that someone once said in a meeting, let's do a project with the New York Times. I love that. I, I loved it. Uh -huh. and I think that's amazing. And, and it's not just an example for this story, but for future collaborations. And, and for us, when we're trying to educate folks about about our issues here in coastal Louisiana. Well, isn't that great? And isn't Sarah amazing? She is. Oh. She sure Have is. Have you met her? Have you spent time with her? We, the whole team, I mean, again, people in Louisiana don't realize how lucky they are to have this team covering such an important Agreed. issue. And on the national side, you know, like Kim Ryer said in her LTE in the New York Times, the, the series gave the issue the national spotlight it deserves. So hopefully we'll have more. John, we're out of time. We could be going, we thank could talk you, for John. so much longer, but thank you so much. Um, we'll be right back after the break. I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. And I'm Jacques Hiver with Audubon, Louisiana. Who's not paying attention. <laughs> Thank you, Jacques. <laughs> Don't check email during the Mark, radio show. Mark, are you paying attention? I am paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are uh, so grateful to bring to the show a, a repeat guest, which is an honor on our show, by the way. Uh, Mark Schlefstein with the Times Picayune. We are talking about their recent collaboration with the New York Times. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Appreciate being uh, asked. So I have a fun question. So we're just going to get right into that. So um, we were talking about senior superlatives yesterday with a group of us um, where you're like uh, most athletic, most likely to vote. What would you, what would have your senior superlative been? Um, I, most likely to be a newspaper reporter, <laughs> actually. That's, did you write for your high school paper? I, uh, I did. did. High school and junior high. Of course. <laughs> you sure it wasn't most likely to be a multiple, multiple, multi-time Pulitzer Prize winning reporter? No. Come on, Mark. You could have, obviously, you shot for the stars there and achieved. I'm not even going to tell you what my senior superlative was, but I did win Wittiest. That was an official one. And then we got unofficial ones and mine was pretty terrible. 
Jacques, what were you? I, I don't even remember. He's <laughs> lying. <laughs> Most likely to be my co-host. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Mark. We, we have so much always to talk to you about. I hope you know that we are um, avid readers. And, and um, when we have questions, we come to you. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate it. So uh, we have lots of topics that we can cover, but we really want to talk about this collaboration with the New York Times. Tell us a little bit about it, um, about the collaboration from your perspective. So... Um, what happened was that uh, Dean Buckay, who's the executive editor of the New York Times, had uh, given a uh, talk at uh, Harvard University in which he said basically what John just said, that uh, um, we need to do something to help local papers um, deal with the issues that they're dealing with, which is that you know small, small newspapers are... Uh, running into huge problems with uh, loss of staff and uh, financial resources, uh, just everything you can think of. Um, and uh, 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 several people in the advance organization, our uh, parent company, uh, heard that and uh, said, you know, we need, to, we need to figure out how we can take advantage of this. Uh, and what happened was that uh, Dean's brother, uh, is actually head of uh, our print operation. Um, now has an additional role. He's sort of our um, the guy who goes out and talks to the public as well. Uh, but uh, Terry Baquet uh, called Dean and said, <laughs> "Brother, put Brother? up or shut up." <laughs> yeah, right. I'm gonna make you regret you said that, right? <laughs> and, and so that that started things rolling, and um, uh, we just sort of uh, sort of figured out. Uh, that we were going to go in this direction. They had just uh, uh, put on board a new uh, editor of their climate change mm -hmm. team, and we figured we wanted to sort of meld this into something where we would both get some benefits out of, out of doing it. And the result, of course, is that we both ended up publishing um, special sections in having a baby in, 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 in both in, in both newspapers and of course our work was uh, interrupted numerous times as <laughs> as reporting always happens um, uh, John and uh, Kevin Sack both got pulled off to go cover hurricanes mm. uh, as is known to happen mm -hmm. and we also got pulled off to go uh, to do other things as they popped up in the community as well but eventually we were able to get everything together and get it out um i think the importance of this is uh something that needs to be looked at nationally and part of the importance is when you look at how our team was put together uh tristan barrack and uh, uh sarah sneath uh, were hired by us last year under a grant uh, uh, from the Society of Environmental Journalists, uh, that was you used funded. to be very active in. Yes, uh, I'm. I was on the board at the time the grant was was uh, was given out. Although I had, it 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 sort of fell in my lap. Uh, Walton <laughs> actually officials came to me and said we want to we want to try to put two reporters at your paper uh, to help uh, you cover coastal issues, and I. Never ran said up, no. <laughs> I ran it up the flagpole and everybody said, yeah, that's a great idea. So we worked to make sure that it would go through the Society of Environmental Journalists to make sure that there was a buffer between mm -hmm. us. Yeah. Um, and that's something that is happening nationally. Um, the Society of Environmental Journalists has done this twice before, um, hiring staffers 
through grants with other organizations at High Country News in Colorado mm-hmm. and at the Los Angeles Times. Mm, interesting. And, I didn't know And that. so that's it, it's something that we feel uh, needs to be done with environmental journalism. Uh, it, it's such an easy beat to cut if you're looking mm. at ways to, to, to cut the cost of your news operation and you don't understand what's going on. We at the Times Picking never had that problem because the environment is so much of our lives that it's it's clearly an issue that every reporter who's covering anything has to recognize that the environment is is part of their beat. Well Mark, I'm getting to the pieces themselves. I mean, you've covered this issue for so long and so many angles. Um, how do you think kind of the stories that were part of the series, um, you know, complemented each other and worked for a national audience who may not be familiar with the issue? Well, we're, we're really looking at two key pieces of, of uh, a big problem that people don't understand. Uh, you know, right now we're, we're finally coming to grips with that huge long word infrastructure. <laughs> well, there's another two words that people don't get yet, and that's something called residual risk. And that's the risk that you face from things that you haven't been looking at. Um, And we saw that with Hurricane Katrina. We wrote a series in 2002 that said that the levees were too low, um, but we didn't know that the levees were improperly built. That's the residual risk. We found that out with uh, the BP oil spill. We didn't know that there were no plans to deal with a huge oil um, uh, uh, blowout uh, trying to deal with all that oil as it entered the Gulf of Mexico. So those, those, that, that's the kind of story that we were looking at. And in this case, we've got two major issues. One is, what do you do about these communities that you can't build these huge levees for? And that's the communities like uh, John Lafitte mm-hmm. that don't have the money themselves to build a levee um, and are having to deal with what their future is. I mean, literally what their future is. Um, and then the other issue is, so we, now we've got this whole new levy system in place. What is it really designed for? And is that adequate? And the answer is that it's designed, uh, what I call the devil's bargain between the national flood insurance program and the army Corps of engineers. The Corps said, we'll build you levies that won't fail when they're hit by, uh, a major hurricane. Uh, and we'll build it to a level that is, uh, at that 100-year, uh, 1% chance mm-hmm. every year occurrence that is covered by your flood insurance uh, uh, policies. But that that's not adequate for a major metropolitan area. There's billions of dollars of investment be, behind this levy system that's going to be flooded by storms that are bigger than that 100-year event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, Obviously, there, it presented kind of the challenges we're facing. And I think we've seen just in sharing the story, people saying like, wow, like I, I had no idea, you know, locally, uh, it might be a different story. Um, you know, we're about to head into a break. But I mean, has what has the local reaction been like to the piece? Well, I, I, I think we've we've seen uh, I've been asked to speak at a number of places, uh, and that's probably going to continue in at least in the near future. Um, I think that there's uh, a continued interest uh, we, we, in terms of what the reaction is from state and local officials. I, th- I think we've seen an uptick 
in their interest in making sure that the public understands what's going on and what the plans are for the future. Okay. Well, we have more to get to with Mark Schlefstein from the Times-Picayune. Um, we're going to head into a break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, also available online anytime, deltadispatches.org. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. And we hey, have no. the one and only Mark <laughs> I'm Schlesting. Mark. I'm caught me, Mark. Caught me no. unawares. And I'm Mark Schlesting with <laughs> NOLA.com, The Times, Picayune. So Mark, if anyone deserves a little rest and relaxation, it's you. But, you know, I'm sure you're not, you know, giving up or resting anytime soon. Um, no, I'm, um, you know, uh, people ask me all the time, well, why are you still there in 2012 when the, the times Picayune made the big change and became more of an online pop product? Um, when that, when that was happening, um, I was actually out of town on a fellowship. Uh, <laughs> they did it without during, you. <laughs> during my unpaid furlough. By the oh. And uh, so I sent my wife a note and I said, well, you know, uh, uh, this is about to happen, and she sent me back a note the next morning that said, "Well, you know, we got enough money, Mark. We could, you could retire tomorrow if you wanted to, but I don't want you in the house." Exactly. Oh, I knew oh. that was coming. And, and so, <laughs> but you need to find something so that, to do. that gave me plausible <laughs> deniability. But the, but the the real reason I'm I'm still here is because um, Nola.com, the Times Picayune, I think provides us uh, provides me with the opportunity to continue this coverage of both coastal restoration and uh, the risk of hurricanes mm-hmm. in South Louisiana. And uh, I just think it's just so important that I I just needed to stick around and do it. Mark, I want to divert just for a second. Did, did you think when you were that junior high reporter that newspapers and media would be what it is today? I mean... Oh, no, no. And, and did you think fact, that five I, years ago, right? Ten uh, years you know, ago. The, the, first, the first newspaper that I worked at uh, was... Uh, printed with hot type. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's how long. And, I've, I've, and now you're a Twitter guy too, right? I've worked through everything all the way through. And now I'm, you know, now I'm working off of my iPhone, uh, doing video and um, uh, everything else. So yeah, it's been a change. The evolution's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you're, you're also now working with Tristan Barrick and Sarah Sneath, who are kind of, you know, younger generation journalists. What was it like to work with them on this experience and kind of see them going through it? Well, this is great. Uh, um, uh, they are both uh, extremely bright and uh, extremely talented. Uh, and uh, I'll be honest with you, the reason that uh, we chose them was because I expect that one of them will take my place uh, in a couple of years. Well, and when your wife's ready for you. <laughs> well, when go. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and we've loved seeing all their reporting as well. Um, so what's next for, for the Coastal Desk? So... What's next is more of the same. We are uh, actually following up where you will see uh, drips and drabs coming out of individual stories looking at key issues as we move forward. Uh, I think uh, 
Ted Jackson, uh, who uh, just retired mm-hmm. from the paper, but uh, is uh, still working uh, some freelance stuff with us, is doing a feature on cemeteries. Oh, his work's beautiful. Um, and so that's that's going to be pretty neat. Uh, and uh, um, I, I've got uh, two key stories coming up in the next couple of weeks on um, looking at what exactly is the state's plan for elevating the levy system or something else to provide, you maintain the system, right? to provide additional protection to New Orleans uh, and what is the reality of trying to get us 500-year protection. Uh, and then another one on um, what, is, what, what is the status of, the levy, of this brand-new levy mm-hmm. system that we have now, looking at um, the problems that the individual uh, levy uh authorities are having with maintenance Mm -hmm. and uh, how that's playing out with the Corps of Engineers' new standards for inspections and for a broader standard of the quality of the levy systems nationwide. Yeah, I know that that is the focus of of some of our work is that you can't just take for granted the system that was put in place. You have to maintain it. We have to make sure that you realize that there's still risk there, you know, so that's a difficult conversation to have sometimes too, right? The, the, the other thing that we're going to be doing is looking in detail at a number of the other projects that are proposed as part of the master plan mm-hmm. that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the Highway 9E levy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge project uh, with significant uh, effects. Um, and so that's going to be one of them. Uh, just looking all across the board, I, I I'm trying to figure out a way of looking at all the different coastal restoration pl- uh, projects that are on the east side of the Mississippi River. Uh, huge amount of money. We're talking billions of dollars that are going to be put into that. Um, and it's going to be – that actually is going to be a key uh, measure for providing us with keeping our, at least our 100-year pr- protection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe even helping us move towards that 500-year level of protection. Super interesting. And, you know, yeah, like a, a great point, kind of getting back to what John was saying, is that, you know, New Orleans really needs to be paying attention to what's happening there because that is our first line of defense. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we did the flyover this week, but it is still amazing to everybody. We did a flyover with Jefferson Parish staff too. And it's, it's just unbelievable how close you are mm-hmm. and how, you know, close you are over to the water. And, and, you know, people here could take that, you know, people across Louisiana obviously could take that for granted how close you are to open water. Um, but yeah, we're about to get rocking and rolling with the master plan, I think is our sincere hope. And so to have somebody like you who's followed it all along, I mean, are you excited for that to see, you know, I think, um, the real implementation period begins. Well, since, since we're the guys who wrote the stories, uh, numerous years ago saying we need to get this started yeah. within the next 10 years mm-hmm. or it'll be too late. Yeah, I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. happy that we're underway. <laughs> well, we couldn't have you on without talking about what's in the news. So we've got another opening of the Bonnie Carey spillway. Um, you know, it's been, seems like it's been more frequent these past few years. Yeah, it has. And, and that's, that's a really good question is what exactly are we looking at? Is this weather or is it mm-hmm. climate change? Um, I think there's probably a little bit of both. Um, there's, uh, some new concerns about, uh, what El Nino, La Nina, what, what 
changes are occurring in that process over the long term and what that might be doing to our weather patterns and what that means for rainfall and how that comes downriver. But most certainly we're seeing it much more often. That may also have to do with the fact that the Mississippi River um, channel is filling with Mm -hmm. sediment, uh, even though the river doesn't hold as much sediment Mm -hmm. today as it did 300 years ago. It holds only about half of that amount. But the reality (laughs) is that it's filling up, and that part of the reason for that is because we aren't letting the river Mm -hmm. do what it wants to do, which is switch courses back and forth across the coast. Yeah, and I mean, that's a really good point, because a lot of times we see the sediment coming out of the Bird's Foot Delta when they open the spillway. You see it going into Lake Pontchartrain, but it's also staying in the channel in some places. Right. And the the procedures that just upriver, they dredge, they agitate it, and it loots down, and then it falls out again, right? Got to dredge that again, agitate it. So we're really just kind of, you know. Yeah, and and that's going to be something that we're going to have to be looking at. You know, I I look at these events as lost opportunities. Mm -hmm. If the Mm -hmm. diversions were there, just think of the amount of sediment we'd be able to get out to nourish the wetlands that are are remaining Mm -hmm. and to help start rebuilding some wetlands that uh, aren't there right now. Yeah, and some of our group of scientists and some of the folks we work with did this great report on sediment diversion operations and basically found... Wouldn't now be a great time to open the diversion? You got high sediment load in the first river peak, and it's also colder, and so it won't have as much of an impact on fisheries. It's early in their life cycle. So hopefully one day we'll be able to say, like, yeah, they have the diversions in place and they can open them. Um, Well, I think we are almost out of time, Mark, but thank you again so much for coming on Delta Dispatches. Thank you for all your amazing reporting. We can't wait to see what else is coming out. And to John Schwartz as well, if you haven't read it, please go on NOLA.com, Times-Picayune, Our Drowning Coast. It's well worth the read, um, and please share it. Um, In terms of what's going on, if you're listening, you can head down to the CRCL Shellabration. They're celebrating their Oyster Shell Recycling Program. It's tonight, 6 to 9 p.m. at Urban South Brewery on Chapatulas. Okay, Um, Chuck, you have to say it. Live music by New Orleans Swamp Donkeys. New Orleans Swamp Donkeys. (laughs) I know some Swamp Donkeys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, get some beer, get some, uh, you know, oyster shells, oysters, um, and have a great time. Again, thank you so much to our guests. Um, You've been listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, also available online, deltadispatches.org. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week. Next time.